<laughs> I'd like to be live. Um, we have uh, some interesting three verses in First uh, Peter, second chapter, and those verses talk about how do we employ freedom? How do we celebrate freedom? How do we incorporate it in our lives? And it kind of echoes what Dean started with this morning when he said, I think from Galatians, uh, here's how to use freedom. Here's how to incorporate it. And here's how to use it appropriately. Um, Now, when this scripture begins, verse 15 starts with four, not one, two, three, four, but four as in therefore, and you know, those, those distract me because I, I wonder about context. What's going on here? Why is something happening and what to do about it? So I want to I summarize the two preceding verses where uh, the whole section is submission to rulers and masters, and it says submit yourselves to people in authority, whether a king or a governor. Those are mentioned by name. And uh, behave accordingly within the structure, the organization, the, 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 the uh, pol- politics. And for, um, for this is God's will. Now, let's, we've arrived now at verse 15. I'll ask you to stand, if you will, in um, respect for God's word. And here's the four. Verse 15. For it is God's will. That by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God and show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Thank you for your attention to the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for reading that. As it's interesting, last week uh, Pastor Sid preached out of First Peter as well. I'd already decided for I'd known that I was going to be here this week, that I was going to be speaking out of 1 Peter this week. So um, I think God has something for us today, not because I'm here, and not because I have anything special to say, but I think he has something for us uh, today. Um, I'm so glad you went into and, and gave us some context there, because I always struggle a little bit um, with... With the, with, with, I hope this doesn't come out right, wrong. I hope it does come out right. I hope it doesn't come out wrong. But I struggle sometimes because I want to focus on, on some things, but I don't want us to get, um, we need to have context for what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, it's so easy in this day and age to pull a scripture or pull a passage or pull a, uh, a verse and make it uh, pretty much what you want it to be, to either meet some sort of a, um, wow, I realize when I bend over like that, it 
gets louder, sorry. Um, to make it be some sort of a, something, I don't know, something that, that, that speaks to something I'm feeling, maybe at the moment. Um, and I believe God uses Scripture to comfort us. He uses Scripture to, to speak to us. That's His revelation to us. Um, but I believe we also can, um, if we're not careful, take it out of context and make it mean something that it really wasn't meant to mean uh, in the beginning. So Peter is um, Peter here writes uh, these two first short books, and I I didn't send any notes over. Actually, when Bernice emailed me Tuesday, I was in Oklahoma City. Um, uh, we Karen and I flew down to pick up Renee. Uh, she had finished, uh, she's finished her second year at Southern Nazarene University. And, um, she stayed after for six weeks to do a research project, um, funded by NASA on, um, the effects of fatty tissue. So I was, I wanted to make sure I was paying attention to your presentation. Um, in, uh, in, in lipids? Am I, am I kind of there? Yeah. Liver cancer, basically. And so she's done this research for six weeks. And so she was ready to come home, so we came home. So I didn't get a chance um, to send anything for your notes. But I, uh, the notes page that's in your, in your um, handout this morning. And so I'll, uh, I'll do my best, at least share the main points with you if you want to take some notes and as we go down through this. Uh, but Peter's writing um, to a... to a <clears throat> Well, let me say it this way. There, at this time, is estimated to be about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this point in time when Peter is writing this. Now, the Roman Empire now is... It's kind of at its zenith. It's 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 expanded tremendously uh, throughout um, Europe and uh, over into towards Asia and down into Africa and around the Mediterranean and and so um, there are about sixty million slaves who are living uh, in that uh, in this time period. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ now uh, is probably it's a thirty we're thirty years into um, the church, uh, the death and resurrection of Christ uh, since the death and resurrection of Christ, and so the gospel has exploded as well, and it has made its way into many of these areas and to many people who find themselves under tyrannical rule. So that's a and so he is coming with some practical thoughts. Um, how are we to live in the world uh, which first of all um, we're not liking the situation we're in. And and I'm speaking and context to Peter's audience. Uh, yes, some slaves were treated, household servants were treated well, but many were not treated well. 
And yet, the gospel appealed to them. They became part of the church. They became, these slaves and others became uh, attached to the church. The church reached out to them and the message meant something and, and to their lives and gave them something they didn't have and that was hope. And now Peter wants to speak to them about how do we live as Christ-like people, as believers in a world that seems hostile to what we're being taught, to what we believe, to what our faith in Christ leads us to believe. And so Peter writes these two short books. Obviously, I think, and it was hit on this morning, across the top, servanthood. I mean, if you can get anything out of what Peter says... We are to be servants. He says we are to live as servants. And so what does that mean for us? What does that mean? What did that mean to them? And my goal is to help us see in the context of what Peter was saying, how that relates to us and where we live today and how we live our lives. In the context, again, of what it was written with, but also in that idea that we live as free people. And what does that mean? Does that mean we no longer have a responsibility? I think we'll find that that answer to that question is no. We do. So before I get too too far along, I also want to introduce my granddaughter. And Dick, I owe you a dollar. Because you said I didn't look old enough to have a granddaughter that old. But anyway, um, so Renee and Ashlyn Crowder is my granddaughter. She's 15 years old. And, and so they're with me today. And Karen, Karen couldn't make it. She's still, there's allergies and some stuff. It just got her down. She's just really out of it. And so anyway, Renee and, and, and Ashlyn are here, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. So I just wanted to make sure that I... I made that known to you. Let me read those three verses again. It is God's will, and this is a different translation. This is the New Living Translation. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the King. As is already mentioned, we're talking about the 4th of July and, and this idea, the idea of, of celebrating. And I love this time of year. I love the picnics. I love all the other stuff. Um, it could be 20 degrees cooler and I'd be fine, but uh, I'm not going to complain. But uh, I love the 4th of July. I love what it means. I just finished a book 
by Ron Chernow called George Washington Alive. Very interesting book. My kids got it for me as a Christmas present. I think it was my oldest son. And, uh, gosh, I never thought I would read a book that was 800 pages long. I mean, it was, it was, it was an amazing book, but it took me through the life of George Washington. And when we think of freedom and we think of liberty and we think of, of, of the Declaration of Independence and we think of all the things that are related to that, we can't help but think of people like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and, and all of those people who were there at that point that that First and Second Continental Congress came together and the Second Continental Congress wrote the Declaration of Independence and struggled, struggled to find enough people to sign it. Amazingly enough, there were, there, we, it was still a period in which there were, you know, a lot of people who were still um, very tied to the British Empire. And the idea of, of, of declaring independence from Great Britain uh, sent shivers down a lot of people's spines. But eventually, on uh, July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed. Interestingly enough, we were far from independent at that point. It took five more years before the British uh, gave in, I guess you could say, or before the British uh, gave up their fight to maintain uh, America. So, George Washington, in the Second Continental Congress, or under the Second there were two, one in 1774, and then another in 1776, the Second Continental Congress. I guess that's where it got two from. They had made George Washington commander-in-chief of the Army, the Continental Army. Uh, again, there's a lot of history, a lot of story behind that. Uh, we, I assume that it was a given that George Washington would have been the uh, the commander-in-chief, but there were many others who felt maybe they deserved that uh, appointment more than he did. Anyway, he joins the army in Boston. And he joins the army in Boston, and, 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 and I'm not going to go into the whole thing because we could be here till next week. But suffice to say, it didn't start out real well. Uh, they moved, uh, after they ran the British out of Boston, they came up New York Harbor and they land, and, and were, um, preparing to take New York and Long Island and up what we now call Manhattan. And, and, uh, they were doing that. As a matter of fact, they did do that and they ran the Continental Army out of New York. They ran them into New Jersey. They ran them all the way to Philadelphia. And it wasn't until that famous Washington crossing the Delaware episode that it became aware that maybe they had a fighting chance against this far superior army. But one of the things that reading this book did for me, and what I want to share is that there was a cost 
There was a price for our freedom. Just like as Christians, there was a price paid for our freedom by Jesus. He came, and he could have took the world by storm, and he could have put everything and everything, everybody under his foot. But he didn't do it that way. He tells his disciples, and they don't understand it, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And that our freedom, through Christ came to us and for us to live in that freedom means serve. We're no better than he is by far. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about three things. I've entitled the message Real Freedom because I think sometimes we get a false sense of what freedom is. Sometimes we think freedom is license to do what we want, when we want, how we want. And the, and the term you hear thrown around a lot is, I'm not hurting anybody. <laughs> it's not hurting anybody else and those kinds of things. And that's so far away from what real freedom is meant to be. Real freedom, first of all, we find in verse 15, is living honorable lives. It's God's, will, it's God's will that you, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. As I've already said, the context, the gospel spreading in a breakneck speed, the Roman rule, more ruthless, has become more ruthless, and their targets now are Christians. We all have heard of the Emperor Nero, how he would feed Christians to the lions and how he would do all sorts of horrendous things to them to punish them for his own purpose and eventually burned Rome. And every, there's mixed out there, but I think he burned Rome so that he could rebuild Rome and show what a great builder he was. But he burned Rome and then he blamed it on the Christians. It's easy, isn't it, to blame Christians. We're somehow seen as passive, and we are, but we're seen as weak, which we're not. And so, so there's a lot of pressure on these Christians. Slanderous accusations were being made against them. As the gospel spread and as pagans converted to Christianity, several charges had risen against the early church. Many of the earliest believers were falsely accused of plotting against the Roman government. Pagan misunderstandings of the Lord's Supper and the love of believers and for one another led to claims that first Christians practiced cannibalism. And incest. Ignorance was behind many of these claims, just as ignorance is behind many attacks 
on our Christian faith today. The church has no recourse but to deal with such ignorance. We can't, we're not suggesting, nor is Peter suggesting, that we just stop and we take it. Today's passage shows us that the one way we can answer our misinformed critics is by living exemplary Christian lives. For me, that's tough. I don't know about you, but that's tough. I'm the kind of guy, unfortunately, it's maybe in my makeup, that I want to make someone pay, and I want to know that they've paid. You know, I, I, you know, I just don't want to walk away with whatever. I want to know that something happened. And I think that can be, a, from our human side, that is a tendency. We want to see someone pay for the wrong that they have done us. We want to see someone pay for the slanderous remarks that were made against us. We want to know that somehow they have paid for what they did to us. But the Bible tells us here that the way that we do that is to live exemplary lives, Christian lives. Because you know, they're just waiting for us to do something that they can also pin us down for. Act in a certain way that they can say, see, I told you. They're no different. That, they, they don't act any different. By doing good, by living such morally good lives, we will reveal in time, it doesn't happen right away, but we will reveal in time the foolishness of their ignorant talk. So Peter's saying, do not take an eye for an eye. Do not return um, do not return hurt with hurt. Don't do those things. If you want to refudiate those who have slandered and said things about you and against you, do it by living a Christ-like life. Pretty simple. I mean, it's right there. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Number two, real freedom is living for God. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse for evil. The paradoxical idea is that freedom means being in submission to no one. That's not the case. Before I chose to serve Jesus, I served Bruce. I did whatever Bruce wanted to do. I went where Bruce wanted to go. I treated people the way Bruce thought he wanted he should treat them. I was serving me. And then Jesus came along and I made the choice to serve him. We are all serving someone or something. Paul speaks about not living uh not serving our fleshly 
desires, not serving ourselves. Peter, in the same way, is saying here, you're free, but yet you are a slave to Christ. You're a slave to God. The freedom spoken of here by Peter as well as elsewhere in the New Testament is not license, but rather correctly placed allegiance. Okay? First of all, we have to understand that we are going to serve someone. And the choice is, who are you going to serve? Are you going to say, I serve Christ, I serve God, and then use that as a tool to get away with stuff that you might want to try to get away with? Or use it as a sledgehammer or a baseball bat on people who you don't think are maybe living up to what your idea of a Christ follower ought to be like? I think sometimes we in the church are our own worst enemies. And don't throw anything at me. I think we have a tendency to judge our own uh, at a higher standard or at a more, more different standard. And I'm not saying we shouldn't judge ourselves as a higher standard, but it's not my responsibility to judge you for the way you live your life. It's not. But sometimes we think that we do. And the Bible tells us to admonish and help and teach each other, but to do it in love. Don't do it by gossiping about them to someone else, talking about them to someone else, or sharing with someone else how you don't think that because they did this, they can be a Christian. And I'm not saying you're doing that. But I'm saying it happens. I've been on the receiving end of that. And the truth be known, we've all been on the receiving end of that. And when you're a pastor, you're even more on the receiving end of that. And if you didn't know it, I'm a human being just like you are. I have weaknesses. I have things that... that that make me less than perfect like everybody else. So, we are not to use our freedom as license. Galatians 5, we already heard from Galatians 1, we'll hear from it again before the day's over. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by that yoke of slavery. He has set us free. We are free. We are free to love. We are free to serve. We are free from what our future once held for us. There's a lot of things we have freedom from. And it's because we serve God. So freedom is not a license to do what you want, when you want, how you want, treat people the way you want. Living in correct relationship with God results in freedom. As we read the words of Jesus, the truth is constantly reinforced that He came to set us free. Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Freedom from sin and living for God frees us to serve others. Number three, real freedom results in a servant's heart. Verse 17 says, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Finally, Peter ends this thought with four quick admonishments. First he says, respect everyone. Underline the word everyone. Say it again in your head. Everyone. Respect everyone. No excuses. It does not matter how someone has treated us. I don't say it doesn't hurt us or we don't like it, but it does not give us the freedom to retaliate or to respond negatively. There is not excuse, there is not excuse that if we are disrespected, then we have the right to disrespect that person in return. Respect everyone. Put the interests of others always first. Show them honor. Show them respect. Even if they don't respect you. That's a hard one. Be aware that this is talking about the world. This is written to everyone. Honor people, all people. Second, he says, love the family of believers. Among the family of believers, there should be even greater respect and honor. This love is a great symbol to the world when they see how we treat each other. God must be first. If we do not show God to be first and show our reverence and Excuse me, I jumped ahead a point. If we treat each other like the world treats each other, then what is the attraction for coming into the family of Christ? If we behave and treat each other the same as the world treats each other, what is there an, what attraction is there for the world? There is no attraction. We should have such a strong, deep love for one another that it will cause people to glorify God and want to be a part of a family and be in that relationship. He says, fear God. This one is always a tough one to work through. The word fear always kind of has some, some, other, some other connotations. And it, it's, it's one of those... Uh, it's it's the the original Greek word was one of those that was very hard to translate 
in its full effect with one word. And so you really can't do it with just one word. But being outcasts in this world means that we must show allegiance to our God. God must be first. If we do not show God to be first and show our reverence and fear of God, then we will discredit Him. And we will be a discredit to Him. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Psalm 34.9 says, Fear the Lord, you His godly people, for those who fear Him will have all they need. In the Bible, the word translated, the word for fear can be translated, as I've already said, several ways, many ways, and, and it's tough to make one word out of what the writers mean when they mean fear. But it can refer to a, a terror that one feels in a frightening situation. It could mean respect in the way a servant fears his master and serves his family. Fear can also denote reverence or awe a person feels in the presence of greatness. And I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 6 when I read that. The fear of the Lord is a combination of all of these things. How will we influence the world if we treat God with the same importance as our hobbies, our recreation, and our work? We need all of those things, but they all have to be in the right place. No one will come to God if God is seen as just another activity in our lives. Fear God. Show your passion. Reveal your zeal. Keep God first. Finally, number four there, that he, that, and again, this isn't point four, but of those four admonitions that he gives us, he says, respect the king. Obviously, they lived in a time when the emperor was the, the hand, the, 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 the whole shebang. You know, he was, he was it. But this now uh, means <clears throat> more than just him. Finally, honor the emperor. If a Roman emperor was to be honored and respected, then every government official deserves to be respected as well. This does not mean that we necessarily agree with them or that we agree with their lives, their decisions or their actions. But it does mean that we are not slanderers, but we are respectful of their office, of who they are. The Bible teaches us that, and Paul tells us, that leadership at whatever level comes from God. That's the way God has set it up. And if we're to show respect for that person, we are showing respect for God. I kind of had an epiphany, and I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
I kind of had an epiphany a few, probably a year or so ago. <clears throat> the older I get, the more involved or the more interested or the more, maybe just the more I sit in front of the TV and listen to the news. But the news didn't used to really be that big a deal. But politics. I, I, I struggled with this whole idea of, you know, in my head, I was there was this constant back and forth. If this person gets elected, then our problems will be solved. But if this person gets elected, things will get worse. And and there's this battle that goes back and forth. And that somehow I had gotten the opinion that our politics and who was in control was going to be the savior of America. You know, we, we, you see what happens when you watch, you know, the, the Christian people. I hope I don't get myself in trouble here. You know, we all want to vote for this person because this person believes we think the way we do. doesn't always happen that way, but I finally figured out that's how they get voted in. I never made it as a politician. I just want you to know that right now. But... Um, I had this, suddenly, it was as if God was saying to me, Bruce, it doesn't matter who's president. Bruce, it doesn't matter who's in charge. I'm the only one that can save this. I'm the only one that can make this right. I'm the only one that will solve the problems of the world. Not the politician or not the whatever. And it freed me up to say, hey, I don't like that person, but, you know, they're in that position because they were placed there. And I'm going to respect them for that position that they hold. Because I almost felt like I was, I had, you know, it, it, was, it was freeing for me to be able to do that. And I'm just a slow learner. Most of you have probably already figured that out by now. I'm just a slow learner. In conclusion, you've been waiting for this part. First of all, freedom is living honorable lives. That's how we quiet those naysayers. Live an honorable life. Freedom is living for God. If you're going to serve somebody, serve God. Real freedom results in a servant's heart. Jesus came to serve we're no better than he. It's our, it's our place to serve. Today's passage shows us that one way we can answer our misinformed critics is to live honorable lives. It's by living honorable lives that we can silence those charges against us. We're to be good citizens. And we're also called to go beyond the duties we owe society. Verse 17 tells us we're to honor everyone. We're to respect everyone. If nothing else, we are to respect them because they are created in God's image. Just as each and every one of us are. Not only must we be submissive to the, law, in, it, it, submissive to the laws of the land insofar that they, require us, they don't require us to sin, we should show respect to people even if they're not in authority over us. 
We must treat everyone with the dignity they possess in bearing the image of God. Unless we think that by submitting to earthly authorities we're denied our freedom, Peter reminds us in today's passage that we are free. We are free. We are free. So in submitting, we're not giving up our freedom. We're only respecting and honoring those people in those positions. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm an American. And I've thought so many times how lucky I am to live where I live. I travel a lot, and I've had the fortune to travel all over the world practically. I've been in Russia, I've been in the Baltic States, I've been in Australia and New Zealand, I've been all kinds of places. And every time I get on an airplane to come home, all I can say is I'm glad for where I live. They're great places. There's got to be a reason they all want to come here. One last story with that. I have a friend who lives in Wagga Wagga, Australia. Now, if that doesn't sound Australian, then nothing does. But Wagga Wagga. Sounds so good, I guess you got to say it twice. But they're a business part of a company, uh, a business that is connected to Walker Manufacturing, who I work for. John Stead and his sons, they run the business. And John came to the States um, a couple, three years ago for one of our meetings. And he stood up and he said, and nobody prompted him to say this. Nobody, I believe, you know, asked him to say this. But he said, America is the most giving country in the world. And why are we the most giving country in the world? Because we have the freedom to give. We serve a God. And we're not just in America, all over the world. But it struck me that he would make that statement, of all the statements he would say, America is the most giving country in the world. When we and our country is in trouble, who gives? Americans give. Our freedom is a freedom to serve. Galatians 5.13, my brothers and sisters were called to be free. But do not use your freedoms to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, Paul does not see our serving one another as arduous duty, driven by guilt or by fear or by manipulation. To the contrary, it's the real freedom of the liberty heroically purchased for us by Christ in the gospel that drives our serving of one another and of others around the world. The Christian freedom is so vividly expressed when we use our freedom in Christ to serve others in Christ. Real freedom is vividly expressed when we use our freedom in Christ to serve others in Christ. When we serve one another, we dramatically embody what it means to take up our cross 
and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and the truth of your word. Thank you that you loved us and that you purchased our freedom. And that in this time of the year, and as we celebrate the independence of the United States of America, and we think of the cost involved in that, we're also reminded of the cost that it cost you, dear God, in the giving of your life, the giving of the life of your Son for our freedom. May we not use our freedom as a license to do as we please, but may we use it to serve. May we use it to love our neighbors. May we use it to give a cold drink to someone in need. Father, we love you today. And we thank you again for the freedom that we have in Christ and the freedom that we have to share Christ in the country in which we live. That's real freedom. And we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. going to be singing um, America the Beautiful medley and I've asked if the words be up and please feel free to sing along.
country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let free. Thank you, and you are dismissed.